Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. I'll meet you there in a few minutes. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. The date was um, April 1st, 2018. So not even uh, a year ago. It was Easter weekend. And as a church, uh, we were nearing the end of seven services that weekend, three on Good Friday and then four on Easter weekend and I get nervous every time that I preach. That's nothing unusual. Um, but on that particular Sunday morning, April 1st, we were literally minutes away from our 9 o'clock service beginning. And um, I knew that what I was feeling at that particular moment was not normal. Easter Sunday, I had knots in my stomach, felt like I couldn't think straight. My emotions were all over the place. I wasn't sure if I had the physical strength or the emotional strength or even the spiritual strength to stand up and preach two more times that day. If I'm honest with you, I'm not even really sure that I wanted to. And so I sat in a chair at the back of this room right beside the sound booth. And I was sitting in the chair and I was leaning forward in the chair and my Elbows were on my knees and my head was in my hands and people are walking by to find their seats and I was just sitting there in a chair by myself asking God, why do I feel like this? I mean, this is Easter weekend. This should be one of the most joy-filled times of the entire year for me and for us as a church and here I am sitting at the back of the room silently wondering why I am suddenly so overcome by a fear that I cannot explain. If you've ever been through something like that, then you know the questions that start to flood your mind. Have I done something wrong? Is there sin that I need to confess? Is there something physically wrong with me? Is there something mentally emotionally wrong with me? Is there a spiritual component to this that I don't see? And then when you're done asking all of those questions, you ask, what do I do with the guilt that I feel for the way that I feel, even though I don't even really know what I feel right now? And so I'm sitting at the back of the room, and if you were to walk past me that morning and you see me sitting there with my head in my hands, and if you were to ask me, are you okay? Probably would have said to you, no, I'm not. If you were to ask me what was wrong, I probably would have said, in all seriousness, I have no idea. All I knew was that in that moment, what I was feeling was not normal. It wasn't right. Something needed to change. Something needed to give. And by God's grace, um, that morning he gave me everything that I needed to stand up and preach two more times. He's always faithful. It's always good. But that was, no kidding, one of the most difficult and one of the scariest things that I've been through in a very long time. Four things happened after that weekend. The first thing was that I kept praying. I had to pray. I didn't really know what else to do. Um, the problem was that I didn't really know exactly what to pray for. 
Um, I didn't know why any of this was happening. I didn't feel like there was any one particular burden or circumstance that I could put my thumb on and say, this is why I'm feeling like this. And so I just prayed in that moment, Lord, please deliver me out of this, whatever this is. And, and Lord, if you choose not to deliver me out of this, then please just help me survive this. I didn't know what was going on. It felt dark. It felt lonely. I didn't know what to do. Second thing that happened um, out of that weekend was that I told Stacy and our elders what I was going through. I told them everything that I could think of to tell them. I left nothing on the table. I just put it all out there and said, this is what's going on. And I am so thankful to the Lord for a godly wife and godly elders in this church. They prayed with me. They read scripture to me. They loved me. They were patient with me because they realized that I'm working through my own sanctification just like you are. The third thing that happened was that um, I went to see my family doctor, and again, I didn't know if there was something physical that was going on that I needed to know, but I didn't want to leave anything unchecked, and as I told my doctor what was going on, he said, "Um, it looks as though you're showing some of the physical symptoms of anxiety. I left his office after that appointment, and I'm walking back to my car, and all I can think of was, how did I get here? And maybe more importantly, how do I get out of here? Um, Which led to the fourth thing that happened after that weekend, and this whole experience drove me to learn more of what God says specifically about anxiety in his word. What does God say that anxiety is? What does God say about the patterns that lead us into anxious living? And and just as importantly, what does God say about how God is the one who gets us out of those patterns of anxious living? See, the thing about this is that what I experienced on April 1st is not unique, right? The, The circumstances are unique to me, but the bigger problem behind it is not. Like, all of us probably could stand up here at one time or another, and and we can tell stories in our lives of of moments where we've been anxious about this or about that to different levels, varying degrees. We all have those stories that we can tell. The question is, how do you make sure the anxiety you experience through your life does not become a sinful pattern in your life? That's the purpose of this new series that we begin today called Anxiety Attack, Waging War on the Burdens that We Bear. Now, before we go any further... Let me define what we mean by anxiety. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page and we're all talking about the same thing. So what do we mean by anxiety? What do we mean when we're talking about being anxious? When the Bible talks about anxiety or being anxious, it means a few different things. It means to care for something. It means to be cumbered with something. It means to be troubled with cares. It means to be pulled in different directions. It's as if your heart is being tugged in different directions. So think of it like a tug of war on your heart. When both sides pick up the rope in a tug of war and they're pulling with everything they have, all of a sudden the middle of the rope becomes extremely tight, right? Because one team wants all of the rope on their side, the other team wants all of the rope on their side. And when you're anxious, it's like we're living our lives right in the middle of that rope. Everything's tight. Everything's tense. And and why is that? It's that way because the cares and the concerns of our lives are pulling us, pulling our hearts in different directions from where God wants us to go. And the challenge for us, though, is that our lives are full of those concerns. Our lives are full of those cares and those troubles that meet us on a daily basis, which I believe is part of the reason why God mentions things like fear and anxiety more than 300 times in his word. 
God knows that we struggle. He knows that we go through these things. In fact, listen to some of what he says. Proverbs 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Anybody else relate to that? Right? Anxiety, the cares, the concerns, the troubles of this life weigh a man's heart down. But a good word makes him glad. A good word from God's word makes him glad. Psalm 94, 19. The psalmist says, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. When the cares, when the concerns, when the troubles of this life are many upon my heart and it's overwhelming and it's overburdening me and I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go and I don't know how it's all going to come together. When the cares of my heart are many. Like this is the psalmist being transparent. This is him being open and saying this is my life right now. Like when it gets hard and when it gets heavy, he says, your consolations cheer my soul. In other words, the truth about who you are and the truth about what you have said you will do in those moments, that cheers my soul. The reality that you have said to me, that you will not leave me, that you're always going to be with me, that you're going to give me everything that I need for this circumstance, that's what he says in Psalm 94. Your consolations, the truth of who you are, cheers my soul. Anybody else relate to that? Amen? God knows that we struggle. He knows that we're burdened by concerns and worries and fears in our life, which I think is why it's also so important for us to hear the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The place where you begin with your anxiety is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. But you need to understand at the very same time that the invitation from Jesus keeps coming back to us over and over and over again after our moment of salvation, after that moment where we come to him and and we confess our sin to him and we enter into relationship with him. The invitation remains open. Come to me, come to me, come to me. All of you who labor, all of you who are weary, all of you who are heavy burdened, all of you who feel overwhelmed by the demands of life, come to me, Jesus says. And I will give you rest. God knows that we struggle. And the war begins for us when the cares and the concerns of our lives are tempting us to be pulled away from God rather than closer to him in the moments of our anxieties. And so here's a simple definition that we're going to use through the course of our series over the next couple of weeks. I've heard Pastor Vance Pittman give a definition of anxiety that was really helpful and and I've slightly adapted his definition. But here's what we mean when we talk about anxiety. Anxiety is the fearful concern I feel when the burdens of life become greater than my ability to bear them. Anxiety is the fearful concern that I feel. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Where is this going? How is all this going to come together? How am I supposed to handle a circumstance where I don't know the outcome and I can't control it? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Anxiety is the fearful concern that I feel When the burdens of life, it's a health problem, it's a financial setback, it's a marriage that's grown cold or a family that's fallen apart, it's news that's unexpected or grief that comes unannounced and and anxiety is the fearful concern that I feel when the burdens of life become greater than my ability to bear them. What do you do when you don't know what to do? 
That's what this series is about, waging war on the burdens we bear. And I want to let you know right up front that the answer to many of those questions is actually really, uh, in some sense, is quite simple. Um, I want you to know right up front, too, that through this series, I'm not planning to give you a medical answer. I'm not planning to give you a psychological answer to why we deal with anxieties in our life. Some of the anxiety that you may be experiencing may very well require medical attention. And one of the best things that you can do is go see your doctor. I mean, I say this with all love and concern. God has given us both common grace and common sense to deal with the troubles of this life. And so while my goal is not to give you a medical answer or a psychological answer for the anxiety that we feel, I do want to tell you that the answer to every anxiety-producing experience within our lives, regardless of its cause, finds its root in God's Word. The anxiety that you feel in your life will not change until you do with it what God says to do with it. So with that, let's have our Bibles open to Philippians 4. And before we get to that, let's pray together. Father, I, um, I worship you because you are faithful. Worship you because you are good. You are perfectly loving all the time. Now, when we walk through um, the dark valleys of anxiety and fear and worry and so many other emotions that are related to those things, Lord, you never leave us. You never leave us in the darkness of those moments trying to figure it out all by ourselves. And I praise you for that. I thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are faithful all the time. Oh, Lord, where would we be if you were not faithful to us? Where would we be if we were stuck in the darkness all by ourselves? We would still be there. So I praise you, God, because you are good. You are loving. You are generous. You are gentle. You are gracious. You walk alongside us every step of the way. So, Father, as we open your word now, I pray that you would give us understanding. Spirit of God, I pray that you would come and open our eyes to see what we need to see. And in this moment, God, I pray for an unusual sense of humility among your people in this room to realize, God, that we all carry burdens in this life. We all carry concerns in this life that cause us fear and anxiety. And I pray that you would find us in this place of humility where we are ready and willing to cast all of these things upon you, trusting that you will give us the peace that only you can give. So Lord, would you lead us now through your word, not simply to understand it, but to apply it properly to our lives, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start reading at verse 4 down through to verse 9. Philippians 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This passage is a little bit like we're climbing a mountain. Uh, the peak is 
verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But in order for us to get to the peak of that mountain, we need to take some steps in order to get there. And that's what this message is about today, how to pursue a peace-filled life. You'll see here in chapter 4, in the first couple of verses, that uh, Paul gives some instructions to two people within the church who were not getting along. He encourages them to agree in the Lord for the sake of the work of the gospel. And then in verses 4 through 9, this passage we just read, there's this series of rapid-fire instructions that he gives about how to live a peace-filled life, how to deal with the anxieties within our life in a way that honors God. And so notice here, uh, God gives six instructions about how to live a peace-filled life. So let's begin with this. Number one, to have a peace-filled life, I must rejoice in the Lord always. I must rejoice in the Lord always. That's what Paul says in verse 4. The way to a peace-filled life when you're burdened by the cares of the world is to rejoice. That word means uh, to be glad. It means to feel true joy. And this actually is one of the main themes that goes all the way through this letter to the Philippians, living with this supernatural joy when the circumstances around you should say otherwise. That's why Paul's writing this letter to them, because they're being persecuted because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. They knew anxiety. They knew what it meant to be anxious. Furthermore, this letter is being written to them by a guy who's writing it to them from prison. He knows what it means to be anxious. So how can you rejoice when this is your life, Paul? Like, how can you wake up in the morning, Paul, and say stuff like this? And the answer comes in what he says in the next part of verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. The reason that you and I can be glad and feel true joy in a situation that we don't understand is because our joy is in the Lord and not in a circumstance. Loved ones, there has to be a way for you and I to step back from the chaos of the things that we're going through that are making us anxious, and we need to realize who the Lord is to us. That's why we rejoice in the Lord. That's what rejoicing in the Lord is, the ability to step back from what we're going through and see who he is to us. We rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the reality that we belong to Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has saved me from my sins. Jesus Christ has rescued me from hell. Jesus Christ has given me new life. Jesus Christ has given me every spiritual blessing in himself. Jesus Christ has overcome the powers of sin and Satan. Jesus Christ is my savior. Jesus Christ has power over what I'm going through that's making me so anxious. And that because of Jesus Christ, as Paul says just a few verses before this, my citizenship is in heaven. Heaven, and this lowly body that is causing me so much anxiety right now will one day be transformed to be like my Savior. When you're able to step back from your circumstance that is causing you so much anxiety and see that, that turns into a pretty good day. That changes a lot of things. To realize that no matter what I'm going through in my life right now, there is nothing that will ever be able to take those things away from me. That's what we find our joy in, not in the rolling waves of our circumstances. See, when you, get, when you step back and you get that kind of perspective, what does that do to the sin within our lives? Like, just think about it. It makes it a lot harder to be bitter because of what we're going through. Now, when we're able to step back and rejoice in the Lord, it makes it a lot harder to be angry because we're not getting our way. 
it makes it a lot harder to be anxious because we know that we belong to the one who is in control of the circumstance that is making us so anxious in the first place. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, and then he adds that word at the end. He says, always. I did some study on that word always this week. You'll be happy to know that it still means always. So what he's saying here is that this has to be a way of life for us. That no matter what the circumstances may be of what we're going through, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Like always, all the time. And why is that so important? Why is it so important for us to rejoice in the Lord always? Because rejoicing in the Lord in the good times in your life helps you to be ready for rejoicing in the Lord in the hard times in your life. See, the reality is, friends, that if you're not rejoicing in the Lord right now when things are good, you probably won't be rejoicing in the Lord later on when things are hard. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. This is a way of life for the Christian. And so he says it again in verse 4. He says, again, I will say, rejoice. So what are you trying to tell us here, Paul? Like, why does he say this twice in the same verse? Well, consider this. What's usually one of the first things that you do when things go sideways in your life and you start feeling this anxiety rising up within you? Like, it could be a number of different things for any of us in the room. For some of us, we dig in and we try and fix it ourselves. For others, we complain that it's not going the way that we think it should. For others still, we get bitter and angry that it all fell apart. For some, we medicate our anxiety with drugs or alcohol or food or TV or pornography. For others, we just give right up. We just stop. We just shut down. But the Bible says that that's not the response of the Christian life. The response of the Christian life, even in the midst of the circumstances that are making us so anxious, is to rejoice in the Lord always. Because we have a greater hope in Christ than what our circumstances are offering us. Your circumstance will never be able to offer you the joy that you think it can. Only Jesus can give you the joy that you actually need. So rejoice in the Lord always. If anyone could write about this, it was the Apostle Paul. He knew what it was to rejoice always. Look at this passage up on the screen in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and notice all the words in yellow. These are all situations that could have and should have caused Paul great anxiety. And follow along with what he says. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 4, he says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, here it is, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Like these are all things that he's experienced, all things that he's been through, all things that should be causing him his anxiety levels just to go right off the charts. Verse 8, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, and here it is, yet always rejoicing. Like always rejoicing. Why, Paul? Why can you rejoice in a circumstance like that? Because our joy is not in the circumstance. Our joy is in the Lord. See, loved ones, if, if you and I are going to have a peace-filled life, we need to understand where true joy comes from. 
Like we need to understand the true source of true joy. If you're counting on a better outcome for your joy, then what are you going to do when the outcome changes? And then it changes again. And then it changes again. And then it changes again. And it never seems to go the way that you want it to go. What are you going to do then? Like, friends, that is a futile way to live. That's an empty way to live. That's why we rejoice in the Lord always. We don't put our hope in other things. We rejoice in the Lord always because for as many times as our circumstances are going to change, our Lord will never change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he walks with us through every circumstance. He is sovereign over every circumstance. He is in control of everything that is causing you anxiety. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Have a peace-filled life. That's what I must do. I must rejoice in the Lord always. Instruction number two. To have a peace-filled life, I must be reasonable with everyone. Verse five. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonable is translated a number of different ways. Some translations say, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. It's actually the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1. He's speaking about Christ and he says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness, and here it is, the gentleness of Christ. It's the very same word. He's talking about gentleness. He's talking about graciousness. The, the idea underneath this word has a couple of different layers. Uh, one is that you're willing to show grace toward the faults of other people. The second is that you're willing to patiently endure the mistreatment that you might experience because of your commitment to Jesus Christ. And that's what the Philippians were going through. That's their experience. And so Paul says that when things start happening to you and the anxiety levels start rising for you, the way to respond in the midst of those situations is with grace and gentleness. Now, if you're even just one part human, that's a challenge, right? Because almost instantly, the first thing that we want to do when the temperature starts going up and we start feeling anxious is what? We want to grab on tight, we want to hug that thing, and we want to fix it all by ourselves. And so we go hard after it until we can. And, and we just think of the circumstances that we go through. I mean, this person's shaming me, and, and I'm not going to stand for that anymore, man. I'm going to tell them what I think. And, and this person's bullying me, and, and that ends today, and I'm going to go to them and give them a piece of my mind. And, and seriously, like, what good is that? Aside from the reality that the Bible tells us that's not the way for us to respond in the midst of those situations, really, what good is that? Because anytime we try and take those situations into our own hands and we try to fix it ourselves, we never, hardly ever, but probably never, we never make it better, right? If anything, it just gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and it just snowballs into something so much bigger. The anxiety doesn't go away because we try and fix it ourselves. The anxiety gets higher and higher and higher. And the Bible says that in those moments when the temperature's getting turned up in your life and you feel like your heart is being pulled in opposite directions away from God, the thing to do in those moments is to let your reasonableness, let your graciousness, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Let your graciousness and your gentleness be known to the person who's saying those things about you. Let your graciousness and your gentleness be known not just to the person who's saying those things about you, but to the people around you who can see that person saying those things about you. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because that reflects a belief that ultimately God is in control of whatever it is that's causing you anxiety. God has got this. He's in control of this. And in time, God will show you your part in making things right or making things different or making things better. But in that moment, when it's happening and the anxiety levels are going up and they're going up and they're going up, let your reasonableness, let your gentleness, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Spirit of God, help us in that. Amen? That is not easy but it's what the Bible tells us. Here's the third instruction. To have a peace-filled life, I must release my concerns to God. I must release my concerns to God. Notice the last part of verse five. The Lord is at hand. Boy, that changes things, doesn't it? The Lord is at hand. Not only is Paul reminding them that Christ is coming again soon, but he's reminding them that the Lord is with them right now. So notice what he's saying here. He's saying the Lord is at hand. The Lord is here right now. He is here. Not the Lord will be here. Not the Lord might be here at some point. No, he's saying the Lord is here right now. The Lord is here with us. He is coming again at some moment, and he is with us right now. And think about this. What is the result of truly believing that the Lord is with you right here and right now? It's verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. That word anxious in verse six, as we've already said, it refers to the cares and the concerns of life, to the troubles that we have. It's it's this picture again of our heart being pulled in different directions, but more specifically, the word means to have an ongoing worry. Means to have an ongoing concern, an ongoing fear within our lives. It means to have the kind of anxiety that we're constantly holding on to and we're never letting go of. Here's what I mean we all have these experiences in our lives that cause us concern, and we're going to keep having those experiences and feeling those emotions because the reality is we live in a sinful and broken world. The concern that we feel in our lives actually most often reveals what is truly important to us and that's not always a bad thing. But the turning point comes in what we choose to do with that concern that we feel. If you choose to coddle your concern, if you choose to like cradle your concern and you're like, oh, little precious concern, like you cradle it like a newborn baby, right? And it's so precious to you. Oh, little concern, I love you so much, and I'm never going to leave you, and I'm never going to let go of you because you give me some measure of control in my life and the mirage that I can actually fix something in my life when I actually can't. And so I'm just going to hold on to you, and I'm going to cradle you. You're my little concern, and I'm going to keep feeding you with more concern until you you become a full-blown anxiety and then I'm going to be doing stuff like this where I'm just cradling something in my arms and, and it just gets totally out of control, right? We just lose it and, and we just lose all track. And if that's what you're doing, if you've got this ongoing concern, this ongoing worry, this ongoing fear that you haven't let go of and you refuse to let go of, loved ones, that is sin. And I say in all loving concern, 
You need to confess that to God. You need to repent of that. You need to turn away from that and you need to ask the Spirit of God to help you deal with that concern within your life. See, the place where everything changes for us, where it truly changes for us, is when we realize that the Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming soon. The Lord is here with me, right here and right now. And because I believe that to be true, I can cast all of my anxieties on him because he cares for me. I can release these things to him that are causing me so much fear and so much anxiety. And I can believe beyond any shadow of a doubt that God will take care of it and God will take care of me. Look at what he says here. Verse uh, 6, he says, Do not be anxious about what? About anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But my health is going downhill. I've never felt worse than I feel right now. What am I going to do? Do not be anxious about anything. But my business is failing and I'm losing money hand over fist. And what am I going to do? Do not be anxious about anything. But I've got people in my family who aren't even talking to each other and Christmas was a total disaster. What am I going to do? Do not be anxious about anything. But I have this situation that needs to come together in a certain way, at a certain time, in a certain place. And what if it doesn't come together? What am I going to do? Do not be anxious about anything. I mean, that's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, we work hard, right? And we get the help that we need, right? And we trust that the Lord is going to work in the midst of those circumstances. But by the grace of God, we make the active choice not to hold on to that anxiety, not to hug that anxiety, not to stand here and just cradle that anxiety for year after year after year and not hold on to that. And not, not to take that anxiety that those situations will inevitably create and let it affect the way that we live in a sinful manner. And Paul tells us now how to release those concerns to God. He tells us how to give those things to God. Notice verse six. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I love this because he's not simply telling us to pray when we're anxious. He's telling us how to pray when we're anxious. So notice here, he uses four words to describe how to pray. He says, first of all, in everything. Last time I checked, everything means everything. In everything, in absolutely everything. He says, first of all, by prayer. So just pray. But there's a layer to this word that includes adoration. It includes worship. And so this is worship-based prayer. So even before we lay all of our needs on the table before God, even before we unload all of our anxieties before him, come before him in worship of who he is. And so start your prayer with something like, God, I worship you because you're sovereign over this circumstance that is making me so anxious. And God, I worship you because there's nothing that will ever stop your will from being accomplished in my life, even despite what is causing me so much anxiety. God, I worship you because for as hard as this problem is for me right now, I am absolutely convinced that you love me perfectly and eternally. I know that you are with me. And so we start with this worship-based prayer. And then he says, number two, and supplication It means telling God what you need with a sense of great urgency. So in times of anxiety, our prayers are worship-based and urgency-driven. It's actually the same word here that's used in Luke chapter 5 and verse 12 when 
a leper came before Jesus and, and it says that he fell on his face and he begged Jesus. That's the word there. He begged Jesus to make him clean. It's like a no holds barred. God, this is my problem. God, this is how I feel. God, this is what I'm thinking. God, I am helpless to fix this. God, if anything about this situation is gonna change, you need to be the one to change it. So it's worship-based, urgency-driven. And then notice this, number three, he says, with thanksgiving. And so our prayers must also be joy-filled. This is expressing gratitude to God for all of the blessings he's given within our lives. Like coming before God, just think about this. Coming before God, how counterintuitive is this? In the midst of our anxieties, coming before him and praying, God, I worship you because you love me. Like my heart is filled with so much thankfulness, God, because you have saved me and God, you are with me and God, you will never leave me and God, you are always faithful to me and God, you have met every need within my life and God, you will meet the need that I have right now. God, you will take care of me again. See, loved ones, we need to see this with such clarity. Genuine gratitude is an anxiety assassin. Like short range, long range, doesn't matter. It's gonna take it right out. Genuine gratitude within our hearts does away with the anxiety within our lives. Our prayers must be worship-based, urgency-driven, joy-filled. And then he says this at the end of verse six. He says, let your requests be made known to God. It means to plead for something. We plead with God to meet our needs. But he already knows our needs, doesn't he? He already knows what we're going through. He already knows how difficult it is for us, doesn't he? So what does this mean? It means that this worship-based, urgency-driven, joy-filled, pleading with God to meet my needs becomes my act of faith before God to surrender to his care and control everything that is making me anxious. This is the kind of prayer of coming before God and saying, God, I believe that you've allowed what I'm going through. And God, I believe you're in control of what I'm going through. And God, I believe that you're going to be glorified in what I'm going through. And God, I believe that you love me perfectly even in spite of what I'm going through. And so God, I give all of this to you. Notice what he says here. Anxious about nothing, pray about everything. Anxious about nothing, pray about everything. Anxious about what? Nothing. Pray about what? Everything. Everything. To have a peace-filled life, I must release my concerns to God and then see what happens next. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's instruction number four. To have a peace-filled life, I must rest in God's peace. The peace of God. This is a supernatural peace. This is a supernatural contentment in who God is. This is a supernatural freedom from worry. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, there is no logical explanation for why you have peace when you should not have peace. Nobody can explain it because it surpasses, it overwhelms all understanding. 
To your unbelieving friend, it makes no sense. Your life is chaos right now. Your life's falling apart right now. Why aren't you freaking out right now? Like, why are you still upright right now? It doesn't make any sense. They don't get it. Why? Because I have a supernatural peace. Because I have this supernatural contentment that only God himself can give me that in the midst of this circumstance that is causing me so much anxiety, I know that God is with me. He's given me his peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice this. The peace of God will. The peace of God will. It will. Yes, it will. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You need to underline that word will or highlight it or circle it or square it or whatever to make it stand out because the peace of God will, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God does the guarding of your heart and your mind. And the peace of God will guard you. This, loved ones, this is God's promise to you. Not the peace of God might guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Not you should really hope that the peace of God guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. No, the peace of God will. It will. In the moments of your deepest, greatest anxiety, if you call out to him, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, why the heart and the mind? Because these two things form the core of who we are. What we feel about things and what we think about things often sets the course for the things that we actually do. And God's promise to you is that if you will seek him in prayer, that he will give you his peace that will protect you so that, you will, so that what you feel and what you think will reflect the reality of who you are in Christ Jesus. That's why he says God's peace will enable you to believe and to understand that who you are in Christ will never change no matter what circumstance you might go through. That word guard is a military term that was used to talk about strategies that would try to prevent a hostile invasion from the enemy. Do you realize that the enemy wants to use your anxiety to get you to doubt what you know to be true about Jesus Christ? You realize that? He wants it to get so bad for you that you will disbelieve everything that you know to be true about who you are in Christ Jesus. That's the enemy. But the good news is that our God is greater than our enemy. You should not have peace on the inside when you are surrounded by trouble on the outside. But this is God's guarantee to the one who is anxious about nothing but prays about everything. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will. It will. Yes, it will. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let's take a step back. Let's put all of this together and see what God is saying here in his word. Notice this because this is big. He is saying that you have peace in your life, not because your problem has changed, but because your posture has changed. That's what brings the peace of God into your life. This is the power of trusting God with your anxieties. You have peace in your life, not because your problem has changed. See, the reality is the problem could keep going for a long time, right? Like, 
Whatever the problem is that's causing you so much anxiety, it could stop tomorrow, it could stop next week, it could go on for a year, it could even go on for a decade. The reality is we don't know how long that thing is going to go on within our lives that is causing us so much worry and concern within our lives. But what we do know is that we can instantly have peace within our lives when we give everything to God. That if you will pray, that if you will seek his face and trust him with your problem, he will give you a supernatural contentment that only comes from him. And that peace comes not because your problem has changed. You're still working on that problem. You're still fighting through that problem. That peace comes not because your problem has changed. It, becomes, it comes because your posture has changed. Like, think about it for a minute. When, when we're reaching and we're grabbing and we're fighting and we're worrying and we're fearful and we're concerned and we're anxious and we're trying to take things into our own hands, it just gets worse and worse and worse. But when we get to that place where all of a sudden our posture changes and we get down on our knees in humility before God and we cast all of our anxieties upon him because he cares for us, that's when the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will come upon you. Think about what God says about this peace that he gives. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Perfect peace. It's the peace that only God himself can give. To have a peace-filled life, I must rest in God's peace. Two more. Here's instruction number five. To have a peace-filled life, I must reflect on what is good Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, that is, whatever is sincere, whatever is real, whatever is honorable, he says, it means uh, whatever is sacred or holy. In other words, don't waste your time on things that are not worthy of giving your time to. He says, whatever is just, that is proper and lines up with God's standards, whatever is pure, that is clean or wholesome, whatever is lovely, things that promote peace and not conflict, things that are pleasing to God and to one another, whatever is commendable, that is admirable or of good reputation. He says if there is any excellence, anything that is virtuous or of good character. Verse 8, if there is anything worthy of praise, anything that deserves approval or recognition, he says at the end of verse 8, think about these things. Now why put together such a list? Because what we fill our minds with plays a huge role in overcoming our anxieties. Have you noticed that? He says, think about, consider, reason over, reflect on these things. See, this kind of thinking is both the product of our salvation, but it's also the ongoing work of our sanctification. In other words, when we are saved, we should be thinking about things in a new way. In fact, when we're saved, we should be thinking about new things, period. We should be thinking deeply about who God is and what Christ has done for us in redemption, and we should be thinking about who we are in light of those things and so on. But that new way of thinking carries on with us through the rest of our Christian life. We need to keep thinking about these things. We need to keep filling our minds with these things so that when we get to these dark times of anxiety and fear and worry, we're thinking about the right things. Paul puts it like this in Romans 12. 
Listen to what he says, chapter 12, verse 1, up on the screen. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to the world. Here it is. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he says, give your life to God. Live a life of worship before God. And don't be shaped by the patterns of this world. Don't don't just mindlessly give in to what the world is telling you to do. But instead, he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It matters so much what we think. It matters so much what we allow into our minds. The way that you not only overcome anxiety, but the way that your outward life better reflects the reality of your salvation depends largely on what you fill your mind with. So if all you ever think about is, man, why is this happening to me? And man, man, this just doesn't seem fair. And, and man, when is this ever going to be over? And man, I just can't handle the pressure anymore. And sometimes we get to those places, right? But if that's all you ever think about or things like that, then your life on the outside is not going to reflect the change that has taken place on the inside. But if you think about things that are true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy, then even in the midst of your anxiety, even in the midst of the hard times, the Spirit of God will bring about changes in the way that you live and you will be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Your circumstance might not change, but the way you see your circumstance will change and the way that you see your God in the midst of that circumstance will change right with it. I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones says it. He says, faith, according to our Lord's teaching, is primarily thinking. We must spend more time in studying our Lord's lessons in observation and deduction. The Bible is full of logic. We must never think of faith as something purely mystical. We do not just sit down in an armchair and expect marvelous things to happen to us. That is not Christian faith. Christian faith is essentially thinking. Faith, if you like, can be defined like this. It is a man insisting upon thinking when everything seems to bludgeon and knock him down. The trouble with the person of little faith is that instead of controlling his own thought, his thought is being controlled by someone else. And as we put it, he goes round and round in circles. That, he says, is the essence of worry. That is not thought. That is the absence of thought, a failure to think. What we fill our minds with matters so much. To have a peace-filled life, I must reflect on what is good. Which leads then to this final instruction, number six. To have a peace-filled life, I must repeat all of the above. Really, right? I mean, isn't this the Christian life, right? It's like lather, rinse, repeat, right? This is the Christian life. But this is what he says right here in verse 9. He says, whatever you have learned, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, he says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That uh, phrase there, practice these things, it indicates a repetitious, a continuous action. He's saying, keep doing these things over and over and over again. Keep doing what, Paul? What am I supposed to keep doing? If I want to live the peace-filled life, what am I supposed to do? Well, 
Rejoice in the Lord. Be reasonable with everyone. Release your concerns to God. Rest in God's peace and reflect on what is good. Keep doing these things over and over again. Make this your way of life. And the result, he says, is that the God of peace will be with you. That's the most important thing, isn't it? That's like perhaps the greatest promise ever. When we think about anxiety and fear and worry and some of the ways that it just seems to have overtaken our culture and our world and, and how it's made its way into the church, like our primary need is not a new ministry. Our primary need is not 12 steps to this or eight steps to that. Our primary need is to know that the God of peace is with us. That is what we need. The God of peace, the God who has made peace with us through the blood of his son and the God who continues to give us peace as we trust in him and live for him. That, friends, is what crushes anxiety and delivers peace. The peace of God from the God of peace. Reminds me of the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Jesus goes to see them and Mary is sitting with Jesus and she's listening to everything that Jesus is saying. But Martha, I mean, she's the type A, she's the go-getter, let's get her done. And she's trying to get dinner ready. She's making everything perfect. She's got like all of her Martha Stewart dinnerware out on the table, like the best of the best of the best because Jesus is in the house, right? And so she wants to make it look good. And, and eventually um, she realizes that she's doing all the work. And Mary hasn't even lifted a finger. She's in the other room with everybody else. And, and Martha gets actually pretty upset by this. She actually gets really anxious over this. And so she goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, like this totally isn't fair. Just can you go in the other room and tell Mary that she needs to come out here and help me? Jesus looks at her and, and he says to her, Martha, Martha. Have you ever inserted yourself into that story and wondered, like, how many times has Jesus said that to me? He says to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. He says this, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing matters, and Mary has chosen it, and it will not be taken from her. Jesus didn't say that to compare the two sisters. He says that to teach them a lesson and to teach us a lesson as well. That what matters for all of life and even what matters for Martha in her anxious and troubled spirit, what matters is that we stay close to Jesus. What matters is that we know that the God of peace is with us. The God of peace who has made peace with us through his son, that he is with us. And that, friends, is what leads to the peace-filled life. Do you know Jesus? Because until that happens, nothing else will change.